Hey there, here and now, anytime listener. If you like this show, we'd love it if you followed us or subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Here and Now Anytime. Also, I know you hear this a lot, but if you can leave a rating or review while you're at it, we would really appreciate it. It just takes a second and it helps us a lot. Of course, you can also tell your friends to subscribe. That helps too. And thanks. Now here's the show. Even though culturally we've evolved, women are staying unmarried longer. They're working at much higher rates than in the past. The economics in the workplace have not caught up yet in terms of equal pay. The gender pay gap basically hasn't budged in decades. It's Wednesday. March 8th, and this is Here and Now Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, we'll hear from the Brooklyn beatboxers representing the U.S. around the world. And Kathy Gunst stops in with some recipes that make use of an underappreciated fruit, dates. But first, on this International Women's Day, we're taking a look at gender equality in the economy. Moody's Analytics recently estimated it'd take the world more than a century to close the gap in wages earned by men and women at the rate it's going now, but that doing so would boost global economic output by some $7 trillion. Washington Post correspondent Abha Bhattarai is thinking about the discrimination women face in the workplace today. And she's taking a look at a new report with some data about how single women especially can feel the effects of depressed wages for their entire careers. She told Deepa Fernandez that despite the pay gap being common knowledge for decades, the world has made very little progress closing it. You know, it's barely budged in decades. Um, And, Mm. you know, that's a very frustrating development, particularly because we have new data out that shows that more women than ever are single. Women are getting married at later ages and that means that they're a bigger part of the labor force. They're helping prop up the economy and prop up the workforce in many ways, but they're still being underpaid compared to their male counterparts. Mm, and and the, the report you're referring to is from Wells Fargo. It shows that single men still earn more than single women. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, women who have never been married earn about 92% of what a man who has never been married earns. But what's also striking in this report is that there are huge ramifications for wealth and overall financial well-being. Married couples have about four times the wealth of single men and women. And so there are very long-term repercussions in terms of saving for retirement or you know, just wealth creation. You're making me remember that growing up, my feminist aunt, who was stubbornly single, she repeated to all of us, her nieces, the famous feminist quote, that marriage is an institution for the oppression of women. But today it seems that marriage has been the way where women have achieved higher earnings and wealth, yet single women are still more likely to be working than married women. So it's a bit confusing. What is, is their spending power diminished and, and what does this mean for their ability to grow and thrive financially? Those are all very great points. And a lot of the reason that marriage has been 
a financially positive state for women is tied with the fact that married men make the most money out of any group of people. Um, men are consistently paid more. And when you factor that into a dual income household, that sort of translates to higher earnings for the married couple. Um, but there were a lot of troubling dynamics at play there. And I think even though culturally we've evolved, um, women are uh, staying unmarried longer. They're maybe foregoing marriage altogether. They're working at much higher rates than in the past the economics in the workplace have not caught up yet in terms of equal pay. And and single mothers are also heading households at higher rates. What does this mean for them and, and their ability to raise their families? Yeah, the, the outlook for single mothers is particularly grim. Um, the data in the Wells Fargo report, for example, showed that they tend to have a net worth of $7,000, and that's mm. compared to more than $60,000. So that's a huge difference. Um, and and it's also worth noting that a single men who are fathers do not have that same disparity. They take about a $2,000 hit in wealth. And so it's a much more staggering gap for single women who are mothers. Well, a lot to chew on there on this International Women's Day. Abha Batrai is an economics correspondent for The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. After the break, Celeste Headley gets a lesson in beatboxing. Stick around. Since the 1950s, the U.S. State Department has been sending American musicians abroad as cultural ambassadors. Jazz greats like Louis Armstrong, Dave Brubeck, and Duke Ellington toured the world as an important part of Cold War diplomacy. Today, the State Department's American Music Abroad program sends musicians from all genres, jazz to bluegrass to hip-hop, to places where people don't often have opportunities to meet performers from the U.S. And this year... The Brooklyn-based group, The Beatbox House, joins the roster. They'll travel to Asia for beatbox competitions, workshops, collaborations with local artists, and community building. The Beatbox House is made up of five core members. That's Jean Shinozaki, Kenny Urban, Napalm, Amit, and Chris Salis. And Chris Salis and Jean Shinozaki join us now. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> wow, we said that in unison. Yeah. That was pretty- <laughs> we are going to hear you guys beatbox, but I have to ask... And, and let me go to you first, Chris. How do you find out that you're good at this? I think uh, you spend a lot of time alone. <laughs> uh, just really interested in something that's really obscure, like making all these interesting sounds with your mouth. But you never think to turn it into anything until you see someone else do it. And I think all of us in the group have a very unique story of how we came across beatboxing. All of us found it either through the internet or through competitions or just hearing it on the radio and uh, have committed our lives to doing this. Uh, And it's pretty rad because we're continuing to do this well into our 30s. 30s, wow. (laughs) I'm going to go to you next, Gene, but Chris, can you give us an example of maybe one of the sounds you do best? Like a Chris Sidney's specialty. Well, it's very interesting because I feel like I've spent so much of my time focusing on, like, my sense of time and my groove. Uh, I listen to, like, a lot of Dilla Beat tapes and, like, Chris Daddy Dave and Jack DeJanet and, like, a lot of drummers. 
Um, so a lot of my style is based on just actually just drumming. So, um... It's funny. Ironically, I don't have any special sounds myself, but a lot of beatboxers do. Gene, let's go to you. How old were you when you kind of figured out that you were good at this, like really good at it? Well, I've been studying music all my life, and I started out as a drummer, and uh, I even went to uh, Berklee College of Music in Boston as a drummer for about two years. School wasn't for me, unfortunately, so I I dropped out, and after that, I was kind of contemplating how I can move forward with my career in music, and I found beatboxing. I instantly got addicted to it. Uh, I saw this guy named uh, Reeps One from the UK, and he's big inspiration of mine, and uh, he popularized electronic dubstep music, but he's doing it just with his mouth. And uh, like Chris said, I was in solitude, freshly <laughs> dropped out of college. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of time on my hands, so I just uh, practiced and practiced and practiced. Okay, so what is a, a gene specialty? I'm heavily influenced by uh, Bobby McFerrin, and mm-hmm. he's able to um, make full compositions just with one voice. And I was really inspired by that. So um, I would sing a note, and then I would match that pitch with my lips. And then I would combine it, creating a uh, fuzzy bass sound. And then I can um, harmonize with my voice, creating a power chord. I could even just sing whatever I want on top of my lips. And I can combine it with Chris's drums. Kind of like that. (laughs) What does it mean, Chris, that you are going to become a cultural ambassador? What does that mean to be a cultural ambassador? It's a huge honor. You know, uh, I'm a first-generation American, um, Filipino-American that grew up in New York City. Hip-hop is a culture that I'm part of. Jazz was a huge part of my upbringing. You know, I played saxophone and Coltrane changed my life. I remember the first time I heard Love Supreme. It just blew my brain (laughs) Uh, And then um, all my friends were incredible beatboxers, and I fell in love with beatboxing kind of at the same time. So I've kind of just followed the love for that and being a representative of that culture, especially being from New York and bringing that overseas is like a dream come true. You guys teach beatboxing workshops, teaching people the fundamentals of beatboxing. Can you teach me a fundamental? Yeah, sure. So Celeste, give me a word that starts with the letter B. Uh, bread. Okay, so repeat after me. Bread. Bread. Fantastic. Now emphasize the B in bread. Bread. Now take out the red and just with your voice and your lips, buh. Buh. Nice. Now take out the uh and just go. Oh, that Ooh, sounds really that's good. That's nice. Uh, repeat after me. 
Fantastic. Uh, so that's your kick drum, right? So here's your second sound. Give me a sound that uh, word that starts with the letter T. Table. Uh, so repeat after me. Table. Table. Emphasize the T. Table. Nice. Take out the able and just go T. T. Now take out the uh and just go T. T. Nice. That's crispy. Yeah. So obviously that's your hi-hat sound, right? So let's do one more. Give me a word that starts with the letter K. Crispy cream. Oh my Ooh. gosh, nobody's it's ever. two K's in that Krispy one. Crispy cream. Okay, so repeat after me. Crispy cream. Crispy cream. Emphasize the K in crispy cream. Crispy cream. Just go K. K. Nice. Now take out the uh and just go K. Yeah. Now we're going to put all three of those together and just repeat after me. Super simple. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm screwing it up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yay. So, yes. Congratulations. You're, you're a beatboxer yeah, now. You're All officially right. one of us. <laughs> so you guys wow. don't just, I mean, I've heard a lot of beatboxers like um, doing a beatbox version of popular tunes, but you guys mm -hmm. also make your own songs. I want to hear a little bit of one of them. This is a song called Roll With The Beat from 2018. Roll with the beat, roll with the beat. Yeah, you know I roll with the beat, roll with the beat. For you guys as artists, in a challenge between writing something of your own that was made for beatboxing, as opposed to adapting a song that was not made to be performed by beatboxers. I don't know if we see a distinction so much anymore, if that makes sense. We're just trying yeah. to make moments and music. Yeah, we each play a certain role yeah. within the group. There's five of us, and so we treat it like it's a normal band, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Chris usually takes the drums. I'll take the harmonies, the melodies. Kenny would take the higher melodies, like the main ones. Amit would take more percussive elements. And uh, Neil would do like really deep sub basses. And uh, with all those frequencies combined, we, we have a track. You know, we have a song. And I think it, what's important is, you know, just like any musical arrangement, um, the versatility between everybody gives us the freedom to kind of play with whatever thing comes to our imagination. What makes a song ripe for a beatbox version? I mean, I assume it has to have a good drum line to it and a good bass line. Is that true? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Uh, but I think... Uh, Anything's possible with beatboxing. Yeah. It's it's really unlimited potential. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of avenue for beatboxing. You could do some really hype club beats, but you can also do really nice, beautiful, like classical-esque music too. And um, we're actually collaborating with two uh, string players too. Archive. Archive, yeah. Both Juilliard mm -hmm. grads. Yes. Incredible. So there's there's no... I wouldn't say there's like a 
song that's ripe for beatboxing because anything is beatboxable. Yeah. So the Beatbox House, your group, has been active in community building in the past and in mm-hmm. education, which seems to make the group well suited for the role of cultural ambassadors. But can you tell us a little bit about your work in New York, the, what you have done in your own hometown, and why that's been important for the group? Before we were a group, the American Beatbox Championships was our main avenue for communing, right? And that would only happen once a year. And, uh, you know, anybody who loves to do something right off the bat, you know, you just want to get to the place where everybody is and uh, crash on somebody's floor. And so that's what ended up happening for a couple years. And the Beatbox House formed from us spending our time together. When you find people who you love, uh, who also do the same thing that you do, you want to be around them all the time, right? Um, and fast forward, you know, while we're we're like, oh, let's be a group because when we share stuff like our techniques and our resources, like we grow exponentially. And that led to us winning a bunch of competitions nationally, internationally and stuff, which is awesome. Fast forward to, you know, a couple years after we've done a, a, the competition stuff, we're like, wow, we need like a place where people can just come and hang out just like we did, except let's put like a competition aspect in it because it wasn't so much about like the competitive aspect as much as it was the communal aspect so we started the beatbox house party and we did it like every month and we just used it as like a platform for us a to explore as artists but then also b invite everybody from the community who love to beatbox because at the end of the day you just want a safe place to be who you are and express the things you want to express and i think that's a natural human thing and beatboxers are, um, you know, we're all a little awkward at first because, you know, you don't meet another beatboxer and you're making all these weird sounds and people are like, what are you doing? You should probably stop doing that, right? Um, But for us, it was so important that we were around each other and we just wanted to give that experience to everybody else who's in the community also coming up because that active mentorship, just by being around people who are doing it is so important. Before I let you go, Gene... Yes. It seems a little ironic that two people who both say they developed these skills because they were alone so much and isolated so much <laughs> have now purposely made your career be involved with as many people as possible, but are now being sent out around the world to make connections with other people. Right. Yes. Just kind of go with the flow and then here you are. Yeah. 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 Who knew? No, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. You know what's funny? Like when I remember... So shout out to my very near and dear friend, Johnny Buffalo. I'll never forget this day. He was like, so we should make a beatbox group. We can get together and we can rehearse and we can do gigs and all this stuff. And I looked at him and I was like, that's a horrible, horrible idea. Nobody's going to be on time. Everybody's like, we're not professional enough yet. And I don't think there's a career in this. At the time, I just finished college and I was a music teacher. And I was like, I just wanted to pay off my bills and pay my rent and stuff. But I was completely wrong because I was watching all of my friends in front of me. They were doing it. And I was like, what is this thing that everybody is doing? It didn't make it like did not register to me because I went to school and I got my degree. I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I have student loan debt. Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, but now I'm beatboxing. Fun fact, I got let go from my teaching job because I was beatboxing too much. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, a, it's and like now that you can was, go back was, to that was, school and say the U.S. government told me to beatbox. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 
it's pretty thrilling, and it's nice to know that um, you guys are, are out there representing the U.S. around the world. I appreciate your service. Chris Salis and Jean Shinazaki are members of the group The Beatbox House. Chris, Jean, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And happy travels. Coming up, here and now's resident chef Kathy Gunst shares some recipes for dates with Celeste and Deepa. Everything from salads to desserts, that's after the break. Hello, NPR. This is Chris Lee's and Jin Shanazaki of the Beatbox House, and you are listening to Here and Now. Celeste, I've got a question for you. Are you a fan of dates? And I'm talking about the fruit here. Oh, okay. Fruit. Yes. Dates, underappreciated. Dates are versatile. I use them in all kinds of ways when I'm cooking. Ooh, I want to come over to yours for dinner, Celeste. (laughs) Or maybe to hear a now resident chef, Kathy Gunst's home, as she's just discovered the deliciousness of dates. And she has three new recipes to share with us. Hey, Kathy. Hello there. Okay, so first of all, Kathy, welcome to the Date Fan Club. It's very cozy in here. (laughs) So glad to hear you're a member. I am. What do you like about dates? Well, I I have to come clean. I never like them much. You know, if you buy them at (laughs) most grocery stores, they're kind of dry and shriveled, and they're like, eh, like not inspiring. And um, I'm spending time in L.A. this winter, and at the farmer's markets here, you just discover these gorgeous, plump, juicy dates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently talked to Joan Smith, who owns Rancho Meladuco in Mecca, California, and it's so fascinating because I a simple question. I said, Joan, how would you describe dates? And the adjectives went on and on. Meaty, soft, delicate, buttery, mm-hmm. chewy, boozy, caramel-like, maple syrupy. And they are all those things and more. And they're incredibly flexible. As you said, Celeste, they work in sweet as well as savory. Yeah. All right. So, Kathy, tell us about these recipes of yours, starting with the date wedge salad. Yeah, I I was thinking about, I don't know, I'm a fan of wedge salads, and I think iceberg lettuce is seriously undervalued for its crunch and moisture. So I made a blue cheese dressing through blue cheese, buttermilk, olive oil, lemon juice into a blender. Whirl, two minutes, there you go. I Mm. cut up an iceberg lettuce, and then I took dates and I sautéed them in olive oil with salt and pepper, and they plumped up and they got even more interesting. So you can imagine a wedge of iceberg with this gorgeous blue cheese dressing, sprinkled it with these sauteed dates. And then if you want, you can saute some prosciutto, which gets very crispy. And it's almost Mm. like a play on the bacon wedge salad. You can Omit the prosciutto and you've got a gorgeous vegetarian salad. The dates are so buttery and interesting in this salad. They add incredible depth to something that you maybe think you know about. So speaking of gorgeous and also vegetarian, you have this recipe um, that looks beautiful, but uses dates both in a roasted version and in a raw version. 
Yeah, it was really fun playing around with them. So I sauteed them for that salad. In this case, this is a vegetarian main course or side dish. I roasted whole carrots, or you can slice them in half if they're thick. And then I roasted the dates alongside the carrots. And they, again, took on this very interesting, almost maple syrupy kind of essence. And then I made a vinaigrette with raw chopped dates, orange juice, and fresh mint. And that gets spooned over mm. the dates and the roasted carrots. And then I topped it with salty, crunchy pistachios. You could add a dollop of Greek yogurt. Very beautiful, really interesting textures. And there you get to taste the dates raw and roasted. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good, Kathy. And finally, desserts. You know, where, where I grew up in Australia, sticky date pudding is just mm. as common mm. as chocolate cake. And dates are really sweet. They seem tailor-made for desserts. You've come up with a new twist on a date dessert. I have. Dates are naturally sugary, of course. Um, so I decided, what about an upside-down cake? But in this case, I, I melt butter and brown sugar to make the sugary base. Then I put pitted date halves around the base. And then I made a very simple, and I know I throw that word around a lot, but I <laughs> swear to you, very simple orange flavored cake. It's got orange juice and orange zest. So it's an upside down date and orange cake. And I have been eating this for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which maybe is not so great, but it, it's completely irresistible. It's got this crunch on the bottom and then the creaminess of the dates and then the brightness of the orange cake. It's a great combination. And, you know, in 20 seconds or less, tips for storing dates without their losing their freshness? Because of the high sugar and low moisture content, you can actually freeze dates for several years. Yes, oh, I said wow. years, which is amazing. You want to keep them in a dark, cool spot. And when you're shopping for them, you want to look for dates that are not clumped together and mushy, but each one retains its shape. And even though mostly okay. we see medjools, there's lots of dates. Well, thank you so much as always. Here and now, resident chef Kathy Gunst. And we'll all have all Kathy's date recipes at hereandnow.org. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you so much. And while you're at hereandnow.org for those recipes, check out our other stories. Today, we've got a look at a lawsuit against the state of Texas filed by five women who say they were denied abortions despite life-threatening risks. I cannot adequately put into words the trauma and despair that comes with waiting to either lose your own life, your child's life, or both. Head to hereandnow.org to hear that whole conversation. This show comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Sam Rafelson, Julia Corcoran, and Emiko Tamagawa. Todd Munt, Gabe Bullard, and Kat Welch edited today's show. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Max Liebman. Theme music by Mike, Max, and me. Our digital producers are Grace Griffin and Allison Hagen. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.